Hello, I am James Andrew Sands, the director of Mobile Lace Community, and you're listening to Digital Alchemy. Today I'm with Robin Gregory, the CEO of Mobile Lace, and we are discussing her journey with MCI in the 90s. This is a verbal case study for transformation, the problems and solutions. Hello, Robin. Uh, why don't we start with you telling me about your involvement with the executive level throughout your business life? All right, James. Well, my business life has taken me to the C-suite ever since my international real estate days, which started in my early 30s, when I had the good fortune to experience early on the Enron and WorldCom debacles, personally. Before that time, though, I cut my teeth in business by building a contracting company in the construction space, uh, covering Cape Cod to Boston. And there my connections were with business owners or corporate representatives or government officials. When I moved into real estate, I started to concentrate on portfolio diversification for high net worth clients on Cape Cod and buying Cape Cod and the island's real estate. It was a very appreciative market then. That's when I started to understand C-level individuals because some of my clients were CEOs, CIOs, CTOs, like Steve Dodge, who dominated the cable TV market in the late 80s, or the Doles, who obviously built the Dole Pineapple Company over decades, and you know many other Cape Cod residents or investors that became clients. However, it really wasn't... Um, until my international business where I worked for the C-suite directly inside their corporate structure or within their corporate structure as a consultant. That's when I got a real taste and understanding for that level of responsibility. How did you get involved in international real estate? Well, because Cape Cod never diversified its economy and my parents brought me from New York, you know, the international melting pot of the world, to the Cape at 11, I learned to diversify my personality I'll give you some context. I was interested in the medical field before college, working for a private doctor as an administrative intern, Dr. Whistling, and then for Drs. Kibble and Kinney at Tufts Medical Center during my first year at Suffolk University. Although I was hell-bent on medical, my family pushed me toward law due to the number of years in medical school. But I became disenchanted pretty quickly with Suffolk, mostly because of the dorm situation or the lack of dorms. That was a way back, okay? And the small number of females in that concentration, I think, pushed me away from it too. But really, a crisis at home ended up bringing me back to the Cape. And while I was attending Cape Cod Community College that was demanded by my parents, I met a friend named Peter, and he and I started a company in the construction space. That business, the last time I looked, is still going strong on the Cape. So before stepping out on my own, James, in real estate to diversify portfolios and then internationally, I really was no stranger to the game because it was my responsibility to build the clientele and negotiate the contracts for the construction company. That was a great three-year experience, which, by the way, during I worked the 3 to 11 shift on med search floor at Falmouth Hospital two nights a week, still hoping. So was the telecommunications case study for MCI really an international real estate journey or telecom? It was a bit of both. MCI was my longest and most involved client 
in my international business and they were in the telecom business. So then tell me a bit more about that journey. Bert Roberts hired me. He had just inherited the CEO position that June of 92 when Mr. McGowan passed away from heart complications. I can clearly remember getting my contract signed to represent MCI in the transfer of pretty spectacular waterfront property on my 32nd birthday. The assets were diverse and substantial in size, both commercial and 10 acres of residential. There were ocean views everywhere. I mean, it was out of Massachusetts. Tell me about Global Passages. Give me your elevator speech. My international business was all about assets on the balance sheets of large corporations, usually due to the result of mergers and acquisitions that were really no longer, or sometimes even ever, really needed in the buyer's core or ancillary businesses. So either they transformed them or they disposed of them or sold them. The strategy depended on the tax position at the asset inheritance and other factors, but I either aligned them to a highest and best use strategy, or often I introduced the assets to my high net worth clients for diversification inside their investment portfolios. When we were talking earlier before going live, didn't you say MCI gifted their property to the town of Chatham? Yes. Yes, I did, James. And yes, they did. They gifted everything to Chatham. I feel like you worked to create a win-win strategy for the assets for a while, though. You are right. It was an important strategy and an important experience. So important that it impacted and guided aspects of the cultural intelligence model for Mobileace, my current company. Okay, tell me more. Well, during my time with MCI, groupthink was rampant there at the time and people were posturing to move up. In that same moment, I think digital was just beginning, and that, for MCI, meant the death of long distance. I always started by finding out about the tax position for the assets that I represented to determine how I could really best assist my client in the most positive way. Also, if you knew that up front, you would understand whether this could be a waste of your time or not. Because the other side of my business was comprised of high net worth clients that were diversifying portfolios, I could really handle either scenario. But you couldn't just apply the solution to sell because it could actually cost dollars and cents for your client. So you had to know the tax configuration up front, even if that took work. And it did in this case. I started my portfolio diversification aspect of the business in the mid-80s. And then after NAFTA... I moved out from the States to analyzing property abroad internationally when I got certified in Alaska through the National Association of Realtors. I also started my CCIM certification that year. Tell me how MCI was located on Cape Cod. I can't see that part. That makes sense to me. I'll start the story by saying at the time my business was two years young when I had lunch with a scientist friend from Woods Hole Oceanographic. Her name was Liz Miller. And that day, she told me the Institute was looking to set up a world-class oceanography school on the Cape. Now, the very next day, talk about things being connected, I took some time off to watch a friend's newborn daughter. Nina was undergoing chemo for breast cancer, and Bill, her husband, was accompanying her to the treatment. She was fairly new to the U.S., but this was also a big deal for them. 
Nina and Bill met in Switzerland at the Tour de France. He was a cycler. And Bill lived in one of the quaint craft-style houses on what's now the historic MCI property. But back then it was radio station WCC, Chatham. It was acquired by MCI in the RCA global purchase from GE back in, I don't know, 87, I think. Anyway, Bill's job was to send Morse code communication to ocean vessels that were hauling cargo that had not yet modernized over to uh, uh, satellite. Or he also handled low-key government-related missions. And there was a team of five other men. A A skeleton crew was on site. But in its day, WCC reported notable moments like the Hindenburg and the Andradoria demise. The company was also originally founded by Guglielmo Marconi, the father of wireless. The Navy also used the property, too, during the, um, I think it was World War II. Anyway, because it was a beautiful day, I took the baby outside for a stroll, and I had never really noticed the view from the house before. As I took in the gorgeous cove, it struck me. Bill and I had often talked about point-to-point microwave communication, which is really Morse code, slowing down and being replaced with cellular and satellite And he, because he was going to school for computer technology. So that was a subject we both could share. I looked around and I started to realize that the rest of the property was dormant, yet quite beautiful, very well-kept. They were easing out, I decided. As I walked, I saw lots of area for parking and plenty of room to grow, and the ocean access was plentiful and beautiful, especially for oceanography, because it had a protected cove. This could be it. This could be the perfect place for the Institute, another Woods Hole. So the next day, I began making a proposal to Burt Roberts, CEO at MCI. (laughs) Okay, now that all makes sense. Unfortunately, James, for us both, Bert and myself, shortly down the road, the usual game of business and politics amped up to the highest of highs. Well, until it hit the lowest of lows. It turns out that Bert was a steady, very smart engineering type, a kind, real, authentic man, salt of the earth, from Kansas originally. He was in his late 50s when I first spoke with him. I think that's about 28 years ago now. He told me that he had been with MCI since 1972. And I also learned from Barbara, who's a woman at MCI that I worked very closely with on all of these projects, that he was predominantly the reason they entered the long distance market. He also shared with me the story of how he came to be at MCI on our first phone call. I remember him saying, it was a bit like how you got here, Robin, happenstance. It seems he had run into someone while he was doing something else, work-related, and that coincidence led him to become part of the early adopters for now what became the second largest telecommunications company in the world. Well, until Bernie Evers, the cowboy from Canada, arrived. Robin, Enron, WorldCom, and Anderson were all names in the 90s, and Evers was related to MCI WorldCom. Talk about how this relates to you and your story. Oh, I was impacted by that as well, James. But before the hit earlier that decade, when I was talking about Hui or Woods Hole, MCI was entertaining my proposals for school usage on that site. 
by the Institute and by Suffolk University as an online annex similar to Northeastern's new online school. As well, a famous Boston architectural firm that used uh, tax credits to bring historic properties back to life was also interested in the property, which made it perfect. And though the politics of Cape Cod Commission always made things difficult, and the circumstances for MCI with mergers on the table, both of these created a really bumpy road, making everything much longer to expedite. I, I really persevered because I knew firsthand that if Cape Cod didn't somehow diversify their economy, they could lose their base to care for the elderly or the retired. And also my client really needed to get these almost liability assets off their corporate books. So in the middle of progress for a multi-option disposal, a failed BT merger, BT being... Um, Oh, British Telecom actually left MCI totally vulnerable and in swooped WorldCom whew, like a white knight. And their $30 million stock bid was impressive and it beat GTE's $28 million. And Ebers took over the position of Burt Roberts in the blink of an eye. There's a huge story in between, but relative to my case study, This transformation involved misunderstood mental models and resistance to mindset shift away from embedded cultural values that supported any decision that a leader would make versus the right decisions to change antiquated processes to help um, institute change that was needed, which is still typical for digital transformations today. Can you explain that in further detail, Robin? Like, how does that relate to software and digital transformation? Yes. Everything I could tell you about the failed transformation from CI connects back to its root cause of having weak and undefined cultural beliefs and processes in place that supported them, along with the wrong nature or character getting into the wrong leadership position. And, you know, I mean, today I can say there's almost always enough corporate money to budget change. And most great leaders don't disregard the sentiment of investors or innovative people on their staff. But the leader of MCI, Bernie Ebers, did. And good, strong legacy leaders like Burt Roberts, they don't allow poor undefined core values to be the stuff that kicks their companies off the S&P and into bankruptcy. But the Times and Bernie Ebers were a perfect storm. And, you know, they said he was a bean counter who resorted to policing toilet paper in the end instead of governing this leading company that had actually broken the monopoly of AT&T. And in the telecom space and consistently innovated with edge technology. It, it, it's unbelievable. So I can see what you learned, how you were entangled and how it ended up. Me? Well, I had wrapped up many of my high net worth clients who I had earned the trust of by being a fiduciary to them since the early 1980s. And the interest of the architectural firm, more savvy than I at the time, slipped away during the mergers and acquisition activity. 
Thankfully, I put the property on the historic register, and I'm proud of that because it was an important preservation of our American history with wireless. Who knows what might have happened if not on the register? Still, in the dead of the night, Evers told no one, internally or externally, and then he gifted everything to the town of Chatham. Somehow, after two years of conversation, all of a sudden, gifting was the better tax position than liquidation. (laughs) Now, in case you don't recall, Bernie Evers went to jail on multiple counts of fraud, financial and accounting fraud. He was released in December of 2019 because he was ill. And then at 78, he passed away in February of 2020. Wow, that's quite a story. Well, it doesn't end there, James, because the company whose stock in 2000 was $64 a share and handled all long distance for Citicorp and landed an $856 million contract with the FAA. I think that was 2002. Yeah, because the same year they were selling on the penny stock market. I personally had collected enough capital in 99 due to breach of contract to respectfully pay my small staff, my debt, and close my doors. Ironically, it was my 40th birthday when I quietly walked away to start a new life. And in 2002, when they did indict uh, Bernie, I was firmly planted in Connecticut, uh, studying for my Series 7 license and diversifying my personality yet again. My old clients, initially sure I had known all along of Ebra's plans, emailed me to see how I was doing, and but it was a little bit too late. So James, from a case study perspective relative to transformations, like the affiliates or people that were damaged by Arthur Anderson's demise from the Enron fraudulent missteps, for me, the MCI WorldCom transparency, like I said, came too little and too late. During transformations, lots of people get hurt unknowingly by routine behavior that is not transparent and doesn't make holistic decisions or consider the change from the long-term view. This is a big problem, even when things are not being done illegally like they were with MCI and Bernie Evers. And you know, the same year of the MCI demise, the DOJ or the Department of Justice in March, I think, indicted Arthur Anderson as an accounting firm versus an individual for the Enron involvement and their subsequent involvement with other firms that engage in accounting fraud for not protecting the investors of the companies. I closed my investment business, but here is where my case study got real legs. John Bloomberg, who was a past partner with Anderson because of his experiences in business, wrote the book, Return on Integrity. I read it and could totally relate. I was doing digital transformations then when I read it, taking Waterfall over into Agile. And after some small sample set success, I knew he was right. And I modeled our business mental model module at Mobile Ace and the organic cultural shift sessions from my experiences blended with John's similar views creating a guide for how to move out of institutional thinking and into ethical innovation. I came up with the innovation platform because I needed to build relative yet creative solutions, allow them corporations to think about expediting on cultural intelligence in a very new way with the solution that was based on validated experiences. 
Tell me about John. John talks about the issue not being about leadership development, but more about how to develop the values in your own culture. And you know, James, that I agree with him. I use parts of his belief, along with our Mobilize philosophy, sacred geometry, and my past experience, to come up with that special sauce. Why do you think you and John have similar views? I mean, but you're totally different people. I don't know. Perhaps it was both of us seeing up close and personal the drama and pain that uh, huge successful companies such as Arthur Anderson and MCI deliver to individuals and communities impacted by the sudden loss of business or income and, and com- or community standing for mistakes that were made due to wrong mindset and for the damaging behavior of leaders that seemed well-intentioned but was really wrong. Perhaps it helped us both to understand real risk and to think more about successful ways of getting things done, mitigating corporate challenges, but not destroying humanity. Not sure. So what is the successful way to get things done that you're talking about? ROI, John says, is about cultural integrity. It's a strategy that costs little to institute, but can save you millions. And I agree. It does require, though, a big commitment and a shift in thinking about what business school teaches grad students as being just um, soft skills. We created a psychologically safe framework, flexible enough to innovate, yet at the same time transformational for digital, that can dynamically shift with change that will inevitably come. Yet be in the now and be relevant. I did this personally because I want to help corporate stop the painful high failure rate for digital and to make room for seeing new ways to transform by shifting just a little bit in a new way, kind of like the butterfly effect. Wow. It sounds like this book made a huge impact, Robin, and it was relatable in a way that was extremely important for you and Mobile Lace. Yes, it was. One of my favorite quotes from his book is about mishandling the truth. He says, truth doesn't change but it changes circumstances, which end up as results and later on deemed as someone's fault. But I'd like to add, or someone's courage to move things in a holistic and powerfully coherent way. You know, values should not be measured, he says. And so traditionally, right, they must not be worth anything or be matters of less importance because we all know that unless you can measure it, it doesn't matter. We've both heard that before. Well, okay, let's walk through together several topics that shed light and understanding for some important ingredients that are required for when you build a corporate value structure differently than the way we've done it before. You know, culture doesn't really require changing your core mission or your vision, James. It's just kind of like our ability to see, to see how others come into our company with their own culture already in place. We actually built an exercise for that where we define how this impacts systemic good judgment. It takes a whole module to learn, but in summary, after we understand more clearly the basics around decentralized decision-making and how our ability to gain coherence and connect into the basis for future innovation using simple language with simple how-to steps and modeling, um, we see how you can move large entities with small shifts. But how will you apply these capabilities in business? This is a very different approach for a case study, no? 
Not really, James. It just discusses more how to avoid the findings of the case study. Yeah, I guess it is a different approach. With validated findings rather than talk about how they were wrong. Um, I think the C-level and the decision makers already know how issues with transparency, intrinsic motivation, and psychological safety already apply. So my feelings are why rehash this? It's hard to talk about change, too, with concrete terms that don't end up pointing the finger at just one group or person. So to be concrete about the problem and the solution I just outlined, for now, I would say it's more about why we look in our rearview mirror. It's a problem due to cultural conditioning that when unchecked can actually be the driver for demise. Well, it looks like this journey with MCI showed you key points around how culture can make or break you. Yes, and at an early age, which allowed me to really understand and appreciate Deming, who said, culture, eat strategy for breakfast. And how true was that? I've used that knowledge in many situations after MCI. I rolled it into our digital platform solution in a positive way. So organic transformation has the ability to breathe, but is structured and can consistently innovate. Well, I have to tell you, we're out of time, Robin, but this was an interesting story. I would love to continue talking about this and other journeys. Maybe a return session? Sure, sure, I would love to. I'm James Andrew Sands, and you've been listening to Digital Alchemy with Robin Gregory, the CEO of Mobile Ace today. It was about her journey with MCI in the 90s, a verbal case study for transformation, the problems and solutions. Thanks for listening.